Welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast with Audrey Hickman Hunter. I'm Audrey and I'm your host and I'm so happy that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Every other Tuesday, we have an awesome guest come on and chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter on your podcast player app so you guys will never miss an episode. Hey friends, happy Tuesday. How are you all doing? If you're listening to this around the time that it airs, then we are smack dab in the middle of Mother's Day and my mom's birthday. So I'm giving a happy birthday and happy Mother's Day shout out to my mom. Love you, Madre. Friends, if you are interested in being in a small group setting, virtual setting for listening, discussion, action work with the main focus being on racial justice, I would invite you to consider joining my book club. This month, May, and our next month, June, book selection is Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. If you're interested in joining the conversation, our next book club is actually today, May 18th, but don't worry if you can't make that. Our next one will be in June. So DM us on our social medias at No Wrong Turns Pod or emails at norongturnspod at gmail.com. Listeners, welcome to our 40th episode. In this episode, we have Jenny Thompson. She is the CEO and founder of Safety Pin Technologies. Today, Jenny will share with us her story on how she went from working for nonprofits to for-profits and then the pivot in her life that began her next season, which led her to creating Safety Pin. Jenny also shares a lot of information in regards to background checks and screenings that I was not familiar with at all. This helped to begin to deepen my understanding of the many things that I thought were already set in place for safety checks are not as thorough or what I had believed them to be. You are for sure going to want to lean in and not miss hearing Jenny's story as she highlights her passions of marketing and starting safety pin technologies. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to her or not, I believe that there is something in this episode for you. All right, here's my conversation with Jenny Thompson. Welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Jenny Thompson. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Audrey. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about um, who you are and any little, little glimpse of you? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Jenny Thompson, as you said. I am the founder and CEO of Safety Pin Technologies, where we have a cross-platform trust badge for the gig and sharing economies. And um, I, um, I grew up in northern New Jersey, right outside of New York. And my, um, my first job was a bailiff in the courtroom. And so... Wow. I, I, and people always kind of look at me weird when I say that. So I go into my, my every morning speech, which was all rise. The fifth district court in four <laughs> Prince George's County state of Maryland is now in session. And the honorable people Nicholas Jr. presiding, you may be seated. So that is how I used to start every day. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. How old were you when, when you started doing that? I was 19. I was, um, so it's, it's kind of a cool story, you know, talk about no wrong turns. I was staying um, on campus for the summer at uh-huh. my university, and I applied for a job as an administrative assistant working for the court system. Okay. And when I met the chief clerk, she said to me, I just love your energy. I can't imagine you sitting behind a desk 
all day just like stapling our papers. I have another job I want you to interview for. And, um, and since we're audio only, I'll just share, yeah. I have fairly bright red hair yep. and I, um, <laughs> hippie long stocking is my celebrity look like, um, <laughs> without the braids. So I, I think she was, um, somewhat taken aback by that presence because most people walking into the courthouse are not smiling and bubbly and redheads. Yeah. And so I think it was a combination of all of it. And I ended up doing that for about a year and a half while I was in college. Wow, that's so cool. I also had a kind of like security job at, I was on the, uh, the, what is it called public safety for my school when I was in college. So I was, I didn't have a speech like that or anything, but it was <laughs> kind of interesting. And people always like, look at you like, hmm, interesting you for this position. I have an odd quick funny story if you want. Oh, sure. Story. So um, I, I was doing that during college. I stopped doing it. I went back to school full time. And there was a girl who came up to me and said, you look so familiar. Do you live in dorm A? And I said, oh, no, I live in dorm B. Uh-huh. And she said, are you a psych major? And I said, oh, no, I'm a journalism major. And we started going, she's like, you're just so familiar. I don't know where I know you from. And I rolled my eyes back and I said, have you gotten a speeding ticket in the past six months? And she gasped and she said, oh my God, you made me spit out my gum. Oh my gosh. It's like, yeah, you're not supposed to chew gum in court. That's not my rule. That's, that's so funny. Like trying to pin you down and then (laughs) you told her to spit out her gum. That's awesome. And she was so indignant. Like I owed her a piece of gum. She's like, you told me to spit out my gum. So. Okay. 25 cents. You can buy it. (laughs) That's awesome. So. I'm excited to hear of, uh, a little bit more about how you got to that spot in your life and um, after, but I, I want to take the listeners back. And you said you grew up in Northern New Jersey. So what can you kind of give us a little uh, behind the scenes look about what life was like for you kind of growing up and if you had any uh, hobbies or interests or sports or anything that you, that you were doing as you're, you're growing up years or any, I guess, big events that happened to you then? Yes, yeah, so I grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey. The biggest event by far, the, there were two huge events in my childhood. One was that I was skipped a grade oh. and they executed it really poorly where they, I was in first grade and they skipped me in the middle of a week. So normally what happens is you finish first grade and then you come back and you go to third grade. They actually took me out of first grade on a Tuesday and put me into second grade on a Wednesday. And so the kids <laughs> in first grade didn't want to be my friend and the kids in second grade didn't want to be my friend. And it was it was really a, a traumatic experience so much so that the, the school made a rule that they would no longer skip anybody because they had messed it up so much. Um, so that was a huge event. I'll tell you the sad part. So everyone can say like, Oh, the kids mm-hmm. in second grade, I got skipped about three weeks before my birthday and I brought mm-hmm. in cupcakes for my birthday and they wouldn't even eat them. What? They're lost. They're really mean. Um, and but you know, kids are mean. Yes. So, and I've, I've recovered obviously. Um, and then the second big event was that my parents got divorced when I was in, in fifth or sixth grade and they were the mm-hmm. first couple in my town to get divorced. So we had these two wow. events. He was the only kid ever in the town's history to be skipped. Uh-huh. And my parents were the first parents ever in our town to get divorced. And it was a town of about 4,500 people. So it was, um, it was a strange thing having these two I mean, I don't want to call them scandals because they weren't, but just 
walking around town having people point at you and be like, that's them for something ridiculous. Um, yeah, those are big life events for like, m- like elementary school to not only have one, but two. And like we used to be called the kid that would skip and the kid that would skip sister and the kid that would skip parents and then the people getting divorced and the people getting divorced kids. Like, wow. It was just a very bizarre thing. But, you know, I think um, one of those things is that every one of those situations that happens in your life teaches you a lesson, gives you resilience. Yeah. And also to, to fast forward a lot to the last year, I think when things like that happen, you learn so much about people. And between everything we've all been through in 2020, I've learned so much about the people who I didn't realize how much I had in common with them and how much I could trust them. And then I learned so much about people who I thought I could trust, but I learned that I couldn't or, or oh. that I, they weren't the people I thought they were. And I think when you go through events like that at any point in your life, that gets revealed to you. Yeah. And so at, at age five or six, I may not have appreciated it as much as I do now. Right. Um, but I think every, every one of those experiences is a, is a mark on you in a positive way because everything you, you grow from mm-hmm. gives you a gift. And I don't mean to sound too woo-woo about it, but yeah. you know, when, you, when you understand how people react in a situation like that, you start learning how people are going to react in other situations and you can prepare for it differently. So. I think that's definitely so true. Like all of those kind of like turns in your life story mark you in some way, either internally and or externally beyond like being, having that like event in your life and being able to like, if, if that's something, if that's something you want to share, be able to share with other people to have like a deeper, like understanding between each other and also deeper connection if they have gone through something similar as well. So it's interesting you say that my, um, I was in counseling with my ex. And I was complaining to our counselor that he always says, well, she's so much smarter than me. You're, he would always say, you're so much smarter than me. You're so much smarter than me. And I wouldn't correct him and say, you're so much smarter than I. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, he said, why does that upset you? I'm complimenting you. And it was, it was only a few years ago. And for the first time in my life, I realized having been hearing smart as an insult and a put down and oh. a jab when I was in first and second grade, like, you're so smart. You're smarter than we are. Everyone's, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's treating you like you're so smart and special, but in a really negative way. And so that, that you were wielding it. So when he would say to me, you're so much smarter than me, I would feel like he was saying, I hate you for that. Instead of I'm so proud that I'm with you, or I love watching how you build your business or whatever those things are. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting that it took that many years to figure out why that had such a negative impact on me. I think that that's really good. I like you, you've heard it like, so and it's like in your subconscious, like you you had to like really pull that out. I think that's so true. Wow. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you were able to find that gem out in therapy. I love therapy. (laughs) Thank you. It was very, it was beneficial and it also helped us end the relationship. (laughs) So it was a, it was a double, doubly beneficial experience. All right, let's let's circle back. So in your middle school and, and high school years, was there anything that you were involved in or any any big events that were happening then for you? Um, yeah, I was active in sports. I loved tennis and softball. And I played a combination of like intramural um, school teams. And I was, I was very active in sports. I was mediocre at, at most. Every, I was, I was like, 
I could hit really hard, but I ran really slow. So both mm -hmm. of those sports, if you could hit hard enough, you didn't have to run that fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually, I got injured playing tennis and I ended up not being able to, to compete anymore, but. Well, that's a bummer. So besides like when you were, I guess, like in your later high school years, besides sports, since you got injured, uh, did you have anything else that you were, you, that you were really interested in as you were deciding what you were going to do for next steps? If you, if you went to college after high school, or if you're thinking about just starting working what were your, your kind of thoughts or during that time? Well, first of all, I'm Jewish and you're not allowed to not go to college when you're <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> we are the, uh, I always see Indian people talking about the pressure from their families. And if they got a 92, their parents want to know what happened to the other eight points. Yeah. Um, it never growing up did it occur to me that school could end at high school. It was just never mm. an option. Yeah. Um, I always was really interested in marketing and advertising. And going back a few years, I used to walk around the house and pick up items and try to sell them to my parents, like things they had already paid for because they were in our house. I would make up jingles. I would make up deals for them. And I used to joke that I don't have to get my 23 and me done because I know it would come back that all my DNA is marketing. So I literally as a child was already trying to establish myself in the processes of advertising and marketing. That's so awesome. So that's kind of already like a little, uh, like in innate skill in you already. It is. I, I was, um, in college, we had to sell blow pops for my sorority uh -huh. and I had four left and I stopped this guy and I said, Hey, I, will you buy these four blow pops for a dollar? Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I can't, I'm diabetic. And I said, oh, I don't need you to eat them. I just need you to buy them. And he did. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> I was like, okay. That, that was easy. Um, wow. Bruce is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra gentle bristles, the Bruce redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you leave the dentist, a fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with code POD15, that is P-O-D-1-5. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 for your exclusive discount and upgrade to your oral care routine. Today on the podcast, we have sponsor Ana Luisa Jewelry. Ana Luisa was founded to bring clarity to the jewelry industry. They have spent many years working for traditional luxury brands. The dubious manufacturing and retail markups did not seem right to them. Ana Luisa wanted to write a more beautiful story from beginning to end, starting with recycled materials whenever possible, transparent business practices, and always small batch designs that are kind to our earth. Anna Luisa creates sustainably crafted pieces that bring joy to those who wear them and to those who make them. With the conviction that luxury can be enjoyed without excess, one piece that I enjoy wearing is the Anna Gold Necklace. It is a per it's perfect for layering and it can be worn by itself or you can add a pendant to it as well. 
Today we have code no wrong turns pod 10, which you can use for 10% off your next order. Check out analuisa.com. So that is code N O W R O N G T U R N S P O D one zero at www.analuisa.com. All right, back to Jenny's story. So did you know when you were, you knew for sure that you were going to go to college of some kind, did you have any interest of where, or did you know that marketing was going to be part of your major? I knew that I wanted to study communications and different okay, schools organized okay. that differently. And then I made a rule for myself that I wanted to be close enough that I could drive home in a day mm-hmm. and far enough that my family couldn't just come without me knowing and having a planned visit. I never wanted drop-ins. So I originally went, my first year I went to Poughkeepsie, New York to Marist College. And then after that, I transferred to University of Maryland and spent the rest of my college career at College Park. So then you majored in communications. I majored in journalism at College Park. Oh, journalism. One of my favorite stories about that is University of Maryland says it's in the top 11 journalism schools in the country. And my point is, then you know it's number 11. There's nobody <laughs> yeah. else ever says top 11. So why yeah. don't you just say we're the 11th best school in, journalism school in the country? But yeah. Just giving you, trying to give some mystery there. <laughs> we're the top 11. You'll never guess which number we are. <laughs> That's kind of funny. So when you were in college, did you, I know usually when when people start college and they have, they have a major or an interest, they learn about other, other options to the, uh, for them. So was there anything, did you stick to journalism or did you learn about kind of any other areas that you were interested in pursuing education or even a job? At the university of Maryland, the journalism school advertising is a major within journalism. So that's what I was studying Okay. And it's a requirement that only 25% of your credits can be in journalism because the idea is that if you're a journalist or if you're writing, you have to understand other subjects. So mm-hmm. they required you to take a wide breadth of subjects. I am one of those people who is severely limited in my left brain capacity. So I almost failed out of college because I took a class called physics of music, thinking it would be sitting around listening to music all day and saying, oh, I like that. That sounds like a lot of physics yeah. and actually it was extremely scientifically oriented. And I thought, how am I going to tell my dad that he paid for all this college and I have failed out because I failed physics of music. And I also almost failed history of rock and roll. So <laughs> wow. that was just because I didn't go. I thought <laughs> as long as I knew Elvis and BB King, I'd be fine. And it actually was much more complicated than that. Well, it sounds very rock and roll, just not to show up. It does sound very rock and roll, doesn't it, right? Um, like, it's not fair that the history of rock and roll goes back past 1900. Who thought <laughs> of that? So, um, I, so I studied a lot of different subjects, but I really, like, I, nothing stuck with me, like marketing and advertising. I just didn't, I didn't take to anything else. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the talent for anything else. And there, there was nothing else I ever thought I was going to do. And so immediately in my career, I went into communications in association marketing primarily in the beginning, but I knew there was only one career path for me. 
Although I did think I'd be closer to like Mad Men, Madison Avenue, mm-hmm. writing a new campaign for Coke, and that didn't happen. But okay, so I have a question. You just said association marketing, mm-hmm. and I'm not familiar with the term. Could could you tell me what that is? Oh, it's not. Yeah, it's not really a term. Just marketing, oh, okay. membership marketing for associations. So my very first job was at the. American at the American Correctional Association. And so it would be marketing memberships to individuals who were in, who are correctional officers or police officers or in prison administration. All very, very glamorous. Please don't be jealous. Not everybody can start their career there. I mean, with your bailiff, I mean, it's a natural career turn. It's very strange how that happened because law enforcement was not anywhere in my family, (laughs) anywhere. My, everyone in my family basically is an accountant. And so it was, it was strange. And then um, my second job was the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators, even more sexy than the American Correctional Association. So yeah, I, yeah, you didn't even know there was one <laughs> of those, right? And um, no. so it was a lot of weirdness. And then I got real jobs after that. I moved out of the nonprofit association sector and started working in marketing departments of companies. But it's a, in both cases, the marketing of membership, as you can probably imagine, is not very exciting and, and glamorous, although I know it sounds that way. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I left and I went to for-profit companies. So you did that for a couple of years after college, just kind of getting your, your feet wet, or did you, did you want to work for nonprofits or just kind of that, that was the opportunity for you? It was just the opportunity for me. I was, I've always been a mission driven person, but I've actually never believed in working for the thing that I support. I, I think I'd rather work in for-profit areas, make a lot of money when I can and donate it and volunteer my time Mm -hmm. rather than work for nonprofits. And, And obviously I was not moved by the mission of the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. That isn't it. I was going to make the world a better place by making sure nobody waited in line too long for their driver's license renewal. So, although actually that would make the world a better place. I think a lot of people would appreciate that. Awesome. So then uh, after you moved out of um, kind of the nonprofit sector, what was, what was your next steps? And was this all like kind of in the same area or did you go back to where you grew up? This was all in the Baltimore, D.C. area. So I stayed after college. I met my husband in college, my now Mm ex-husband in college. And he said, I had wanted to move back to New York. And he said this very thoughtful, maybe the most intelligent thing he ever said to me, which was, I have a job here and you don't have a job anywhere. So I think we should stay Valid. And when you're young and poor, that makes so much sense. So we stayed in the area and stayed in Baltimore. I stayed in Baltimore for a long time. After that, the most of the jobs that I had were in, in the Baltimore area or the association jobs were closer to DC. And as I continued my career, so the next place I went was a, a healthcare data company and they were basically selling books and data compilations to hospitals. Again, very sexy stuff. And then the last job I had before I left to start my own company was a direct-to-consumer financial publisher, and I ended up building their health business. 
So we were selling vitamins and dietary supplements and health information all direct to consumer. Okay. So you were just kind of, I guess, just all in the, in the same like marketing uh, vein or communicating with people for a good or service. And, and getting them to buy something from us. Yeah. It was all about send us a check. (laughs) Yeah. So credit card. (laughs) either, Either one works. Right. Um, so then can you kind of walk us through, um, uh, maybe what led you to, uh, start your company, uh, if there was, um, like an event or like series of events that you can share with us? There were, so I was at my last job for a long time. I was the CEO of this subsidiary, the health subsidiary of this larger company. Yes. I left in 2016. I'd been there for a long time. And one of the things that happened is I, wasn't excited to go into work anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't hate it. I had spent a, a lot of time at the company. I built the company. I built the supplement companies. I had acquired a skincare company while I was there. I loved my team, but I was spending more time in New York. My, mm-hmm. um, I had an apartment in New York part-time. I really wanted to move to New York full-time. And at that time, I was not comfortable working remotely while my team was still in Baltimore. And I thought, I'm not excited to be here. And this next generation really is. And I want to give them the opportunity that they've been waiting for. So I decided to move away from the company. I didn't have a plan at the time. I just knew that it was time for me to jump. And I always mm-hmm. love that saying, jump, sorry, jump and the net will appear. And I think it's really important that when you make a change in your life, you make a change. I have, I'm, I'm a very metaphorical thinker. And I tell people there are two ways to do something like this. You can skydive. You can just jump right out of it, quit your job, not know what you're going to do next. Or you can paraglide where you just run until there's no more mountain under your feet. Mm-hmm. And I did a little bit of both because I quit my job without knowing what was going to happen. And then I got a couple of consulting jobs very quickly in the same industry. So mm-hmm. I had had money coming in. Mm-hmm. There wasn't an insecurity there. But I think that when you are paragliding out of something and you run until there's no mountain under your feet, you have to make sure there's not so much mountain that you're not actually <laughs> taking that jump. Yeah. And that was, I, I set a limit for myself for how many months I would work with each client. And then I went on a vacation and I had this crazy experience with my pet sitter. <laughs> Um, that led me to start my company. So it wasn't that I left my old job to start my company. It was I left my old job because it was time for me to go. Mm-hmm. And then events led me to realize that there was this need and to to come out building. So can you can you go um, in into any of that for us, and then how that led you to the uh, to start your company? Absolutely, I was on vacation and I had hired somebody to watch my dogs. She had been walking them for a little over a month. When I got home, I realized she hadn't stayed at my house at all. There were stains all over the carpet. It was clear that she had not stayed. For example, the fitted sheet was still perfectly folded. And um, then I realized the dog's beds were missing. So what I surmise is that she left them alone for some amount of time. And then Mm -hmm. she must've realized she couldn't leave them alone anymore. And she took them somewhere. Wow. And I had been paying her to stay in my house. I had actually prepaid her for my next trip the following week. 
so I called her, I got the beds back and I told her that she was fired and she had to pay me back the money I had prepaid her. I wasn't even asking for the money for the week that she didn't stay there mm-hmm. since the dogs were fine. Um, and four days later, I get this text that she's been in a horrible car accident and she's being rushed to the hospital and she won't be able to, to work for me anymore. And I very quickly realized that it's, it's a hoax. There's so much, right. so much behind it that I won't go into, but so many things wrong with this text where it's so obvious it's not true, but I decided to play along and I texted her dad and asked questions. So over the next four days, they were engaging with me and saying things like there's swelling on her brain. They're telling us we might, that her kidneys might have to be removed. And then finally on day four, they told me she died. And, and they told me she died in the perfect um, Gen Z millennial way. Uh-huh. I texted and said, can you please be here by 11 to walk the dogs? And then I texted back immediately and said, I'm so sorry. She's still in my phone as dog sitter. I'm, I apologize. And they wrote back and said, you're fine. She passed away this morning, which is not how any parents would ever respond if their 19 year old daughter had died. So, and then I kept playing along. I asked like where I could send a condolence card and they told me they were only accepting condolence cards until June 15th or something, which I assume is when they were going to lose their school housing. So it all got very absurd, but this girl faked her own death because she didn't want to pay me back money she owed me. And I had checked her background and I had checked her references and I thought, this is crazy. How does anybody hire anyone online and not end up with an insane experience like this? And so what we built at Safety Pin is a way for people to see trust quickly. And we do a few things differently. I'm just a little bit curious of how you went from this like experience to then all, all of a sudden saying like, this is a, this is a need, which is clear. And then how, how you went to build, build your company. So I went from this experience and I started trying to figure out how I was going to find a pet sitter that I trusted. This was a very specific personal need. Mm -hmm. So I started researching, how do you do better background checks? And some of the stuff I learned about background checks really horrified me. And then I realized there are these big gaps. So here was a 19 year old college student. She probably, she didn't have anything criminal in her background. That doesn't help me knowing that she didn't have a criminal conviction didn't make this situation any better. Mm -hmm. So I started leveraging my network and through my network, I was connected with a couple of retired criminal profilers from the, from the NYPD and one who specialized in stalking and domestic violence. And I started asking them, how can we know in advance if somebody has the kind of behaviors that they would do this? I feel like Hmm. I should have been able to see this. And one of the problems for us is there was no sign of this prior Mm -hmm. to, to it happening. But even if there had been, we tend to want to trust other human beings So we dismiss a lot of small signals Mm. and we think about we're being too judgmental or it's just because they look like this person from our past or something. So we dismiss a lot of that. Mm. And I knew that there had to be a way to do it. And I, through my, my network and I, 
want to really stress that because the way that I connected to some of these people was so astonishing. If you tell people what you need, somebody will find you it. And I just want to give an example. A guy that I dated for a couple of months introduced me to a woman who introduced me to another woman who put me in touch with the former chief security officer of the White House, who is now my lead advisor. So somebody who protected four presidents before this one. Yeah. He protected the last four presidents before this one. He was then the private security director for one of the richest men in the world. And he is advising us on what we're building. He then connected me with the former lead forensic psychologist from Leavenworth Maximum Security Prison, who was an FBI hostage negotiator and a forensic psychologist at the Department of Justice. And she is also on my advisory board. And then on the flip side of it, we read an article in The Atlantic about testing psychopathic behavior in prisons. And we just decided to contact the author of the study, who is a clinical psychologist that runs the psychopathy lab at one of the Ivy League schools. And she helped us build out our algorithm. So asking for what you need, so many times you will get it. And you never know who knows somebody. These two women that connected me to the White House security chief, they were soccer moms together. So one of them was sitting and saying, my friend's starting this company and it's really cool. And then she said, oh, I should introduce her to John because he did this. And so I want to make sure people listening understand your network is so much more powerful than you even know because you don't know what soccer mom is sitting next to you. And so that was astonishing. And what what we learned and what we have built is the first thing we did is we we looked for the flaws in background checks and we tried to overcome a lot of them. I tell people all the time, every background check is a slice of Swiss cheese. You have no idea how big the holes are, how thick they are, and how many of them are in a slice. Hmm. But I think the most shocking thing that people don't know is there's something called the National Criminal Database. And if you use most of the gig economy and sharing economy sites, they run people through the National Criminal Database. Only 14 states report all of their data there. 10 states only report one county and 17 states don't report anything at all. And New York is one of the states that doesn't report anything at all. That sounds like a big hole. And so is Massachusetts. (laughs) Yes. So if somebody, but Alaska reports. So one of the 14 states that does include it is Alaska. (laughs) New York doesn't. So if you're hiring a babysitter in New York and you're using a service that runs the national criminal database, they're literally not scanning anything for where that person lives. Wow. And I think that's like one of the most misunderstood things. The other thing is that the next line is background checks are done at the county level. Well, if you live in New York, the five boroughs are five separate counties. So if you commit a crime in Brooklyn and you live in Manhattan, it doesn't come up because they're running the county that you live in. Wow. That sounds like so many like missing links exactly not a big net to to like filter through that and and there's so there's so so much hey listeners some of you guys may have heard that a big part of my story on why and how i started this podcast during my day job i get to listen to podcasts all day long as i'm working And the ones I really enjoy are the ones that encompass someone's story and their passions. Since I'm an avid podcast listener, I wanted to start sharing podcasts and podcast episodes that I've enjoyed and that that I think you may as well. 
This week, I want to share with you a podcast called Saved by the City. I found this podcast through following Caitlin Beatty and her book, A Woman's Place, The Surprising Truth About Why God Intends Every Woman to Work. In the podcast, Caitlin is joined by her co-host, Roxy Stone, to chat about various topics from fashion to dating to shattering the glass ceilings. Roxy and Caitlin grew up in the white evangelical American heartland. Both were warned moving to a supposed bastion of secular culture would be dangerous to their faith. While navigating a city where people sleep on Sunday mornings and chastise the motto, true love waits, isn't a thing. The two have found a renewed, vibrant faith that has been both strengthened and stretched in the metropolis. I will link the podcast in the show notes. All right, back to Jenny's story. And so what we've done is we analyze all 3,200 counties in the United States. We know exactly which ones we can access through the National Criminal Database and which ones we can't. And then in addition to that, we scan beyond the county level for every single person because we know that sometimes people leave their counties. I've left this county three times today. Yeah. And, and it's even like if you work in one county and um, live in another, mm-hmm. your work county is not run when they run a criminal background check. And just thinking about people who go out for drinks after work and all of those other things. So we took the Department of Justice statistics on how far from home a person commits a crime. And then we increased it 70% and we run that radius for everybody. So anybody who comes to our system gets this significantly deeper, broader criminal background check. And we hired a federal investigator to help us with the county assessments. And he said that the federal government wouldn't let him do this check because it would be too thorough. Hmm. So we were excited (laughs) that it was that good. And we were concerned not that doesn't count security clearance. I want to be clear. This is line, you know, frontline level hiring. It's not security clearance level. But then the other thing we did is we know how broken the criminal justice system is. I, I know this from being a bailiff because I saw a lot of people who could afford expensive lawyers that were friends with the judge get off with nothing. And there are a lot of people who go through the criminal justice system who are convicted of things that aren't, they shouldn't be convicted of. And the flip side, there are a lot of people who either never get arrested or who get arrested and they buy their way out of it. Mm. And so we incorporate this behavioral component that was built with our forensic and clinical psychologists. So we determine if the person has a tendency towards certain behaviors that would make them put other people at risk. And then we just don't give them a safety pin. If, you, if you're qualified and you meet all of our requirements, you get a badge with a unique eight-digit identifier and anybody can, that you want can come check and verify that it's yours and you can share a copy of your report with them. And if you don't meet our requirements, there's no negative indicator. We're very focused on reputation management. We're very focused on data security. So we only have a positive indicator. We think of it like clear for the gig and sharing economies. You get yourself pre-screened, you get a certification, you can use it wherever you want. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So if you, if you don't get it, it's not like a neg- a negative mark, but it's something that that they would want to share. Where, where where would people be po- like posting this number? Or, so you can or their post badge. It, you can literally post it anywhere, and we made mm-hmm. it so that you can share it through messaging. You can post it on your profile anywhere. But we've also just launched a Chrome extension. So as people mm-hmm. download the extension, it will pull out the people in their search range that have a safety pin. So if you're on care.com and you're looking for a babysitter 
and we have five safety pin screen sitters in your zip code range, mm -hmm. it'll pop up in a separate window and then you can link directly to their profiles on care. Wow. That's awesome. I know that we had like chatted a little bit like offline, just about the kind of cra like craziness that is uh, just like kind of the, the minds of like people who are trying to like do harmful things and get away with things and just like different places that they, you know, they're searching, like look, looking for v vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. um, so when you said. I'll share, I'll share a specific story that of somebody that we screened. It was a 38-year-old male who was applying for a babysitting job, which automatically sets off my spidey senses. Yeah. Not a lot of 38-year-old men are babysitting. Um, and he had two open charges for sexual assault of minors but they were nine years old and employers are only allowed to look back seven years for criminal activity. Wow. We're not an employer. We're not making a hiring decision. We're only making the decision that we won't give this person a safety pin. He, so we declined him. He, he had been trying to rush his application through and we learned it was because he had a court date coming up in two weeks. At least we assume that's why mm -hmm. he asked us why we declined him. We told him that we found these open charges and everybody, so this is something else that's unique about our service. All of our communication is with the individual. We never tell the app, this person did not qualify. We just don't send them back a positive indicator. So we'll talk to the individual and everybody gets a free appeal. Mm -hmm. We asked, he asked us why he was declined. We explained to him why he was declined and we never heard from him again. So there's somebody who, based on the information we have, we don't think should have been on a babysitting platform and was trying to get it through and didn't think it would show up because it was nine years old. So they thought they could kind of like skirt the system of what people are normally checking for. They did. And the other thing is criminals all, most criminal, most people who have committed crimes or who exhibit criminal behavior, check their own background checks a lot. They also know that once they move, they're not going to get checked because people are checking the county they live in. We go back to everywhere you've lived since you turned 18. Mm -hmm. um, and where you currently work. So it's that we do get people who assume we're not going to find anything because they've moved or they looked back at their own background check and they know what's come up. And then we find things that they're not expecting us to find. And then wow. in addition, we have the algorithm that looks at their behavior based on their own answers. So the behavioral algorithm is, is a weighted and scored question that they have to answer. It's not going back and scrubbing their social media mm -hmm. or looking at their work history. It's, it's analytical based on their answers. And so we use that in conjunction with a criminal record. Well, the, it's kind of interesting because when I was kind of like taking a look around your site, I was like, oh, this is great for people who just, you know, want to make sure that people are more confident and with who they are and their, you know, trustworthiness in like choosing them for, for a service. But I never really thought about it kind of like what you're saying is somebody was trying to get this to get like the positive review from you, but they were for, you know, like a devious reason, basically. Yeah. We had another woman who had spent four nights in jail for violating a no contact order a month earlier, but because it wasn't her home county, she didn't think it was going to show up when we ran it. So do you think people will uh, try and like see if they will get approved to see what will pop up for them? I think they will. 
right now we only charge a dollar to apply. So mm -hmm. there's not a big barrier, but the, I think people who use background checks to check on themselves know what will come up. We have a, again, I think that's where our algorithm helps us because they're those behavioral indicators also usually get flagged. Mm -hmm. And we also, we know what they're trying to do. So for example, our system, there's no physical way to apply in our system twice. And we get people who do it all the time and they'll change their email address or they'll change their credit card number. Mm -hmm. And, and we just have programmed against it. We have enough indicators and we have, we, we access over 10,000 sources of data. We save their IP addresses. We do everything that we need to do to make sure that people aren't trying, that people aren't gaming our system and that they're also not counterfeiting badges. I didn't even, some of these things I'm like, wow, that's so obvious, but I don't even think like, because that's not like, you know, my natural mindset to try to get a positive re remark in like such, such a way. So what kind of, um, so people will get the, their, their badge and their unique um, identifier number, and they will be able to kind of use that to kind of show their, their positive review and trustworthiness. Is there anything else besides, I guess, like showing that to potential employers or how does, um, how does that, how does that work once they have the positive review? So they can display the badge on any profile anywhere. And again, if the person downloads our Chrome extension, they'll see them as well. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we provide, somebody can come to, you can send somebody your safety pin ID mm -hmm. and they can come to our site and verify it, that it's in good standing. That's the other thing. We do ongoing screening and we can revoke the safety pin. So it's a, it's a live badge that can be revoked okay. in real time. And we also have a report that the person can download that will show the other individual everywhere that we screened them. So it'll show all of the screening that we did specifically for them based on their address history. Mm -hmm. And it will show what was screened through the national criminal database, the global watch list, the national sex offender registry and, and the rest. So it'll kind of show just like, like a resume or bullet points of all of all the areas where they have checked out, I guess. Would you say? And that they met the requirements on our behavioral. Gotcha. Wow. So I, I guess that's kind of cool then because you can, the, they can, the potential employer can double check that this is indeed the case, not just seeing like, oh, this is a cool badge here, but to actually be able to get some like validity and double check behind that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Sorry. And they can also report to us if they think that either the person is not the same person on the badge because there's a mismatch mm. or if they have an experience with the person that they think should result in us revoking the badge. And because we work in the babysitting space a lot, it won't surprise yeah. you probably to know people say things like, well, I had a babysitter and she left my house a mess and I don't think she should have a safety pin. And our point is that is a quality issue. It's not a safety or trust issue. We understand your frustration, you know, leave her a low review. Mm -hmm don't give her a lot of stars but we do want to know if people end up in uncomfortable situations over as we grow we anticipate people also using it for dating and for airbnb and areas where it's not exclusively gig economy but anytime you're meeting somebody offline that you've met online and it could put you at risk so we look at knowing that your airbnb host or guest is safe knowing that the person that you're going on a date with has met this requirement and in that case we really want to 
ensure that the there is an outlet to say, I don't actually think this person should continue to meet your requirements and you should look into it. And then we have law enforcement available and psychologists available that can do interviews or, or review the information. That's great. So it's not um, just kind of like a, a mark stamp, but there's d- many ways that people can kind of like enter a, a disagreement and then that will like result in you and you all following up with that. Exactly. I do also want to share because it all sounds so somber, um, but we have shown that babysitters who have a safety pin book twice as many jobs and they can earn about $1,500 extra dollars a year if they're just babysitting on the side. So it has a real fiscal advantage to the member, not just, oh, people know that you won't hurt somebody or, you know, there's this so dark side to it, but we also want to create more opportunity. There mm-hmm. are hundreds, we heard one job on care.com had 600 applicants for a babysitting job. And we want to give people a way to make their profile stand out, who have met these requirements, who have gone through a tougher screening, because we know how important trust is to families. I think that's, I'm glad you share that because I was just definitely thinking like, okay, like, you know, making, making sure that, you know, you're, you're safe or whoever you're trying to employ a service for is safe. But I like how it also can work in the benefit of the person besides having that validity, but being able to have kind of set them apart, like, you know, in any other kind of like resume that you'd be able to, um, yeah, have that set apart so you could be extra trustworthy in, in addition to the other things that are presented on the kind of normal um, application or uh, profile. And we don't have data on this yet, but one of the things we want to study, our goal is to also see the unintentional biases in the hiring off of these platforms be mitigated by the safety badge. We know that people, when they're hiring strangers, there are a lot of unintentional biases that do crop up and people Mm -hmm. tend to hire people that look like them or whose names they can pronounce more easily. Mm -hmm. And we think that trust is the, is the single biggest factor there other than availability first, trust second. And it doesn't matter if you trust somebody, if they're not available, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're really eager to have an impact there as well. And we're just, working on gathering enough data to be able to make a statement about it. That's awesome. So I guess one question that came up as, as we were, you were sharing, what, so when did this, um, when did Safety Fin officially begin? And I guess from there, where does the, the membership and kind of the, the usage spread from there? Like how, if you had any, I'm just curious of where, where the reach has gone so far. So we started in 2018, about midway through the year with, And we went into beta with a couple of small babysitting partners that were startups as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We have about 4,000 people who are screened and and safety pin approved. And essentially, we built those relationships through early stage partners. But we also know that babysitters, we have focused on the babysitting market. We've Mm -hmm. also had partners in the farming market and concierge and Mm -hmm. physical therapy. So when people have come to us, we we work with them, but our our outreach is is all focused on babysitting first, and then we'll focus on home healthcare and then on home improvement. Mm -hmm. We, in the babysitting space specifically, 
usually when somebody's on a platform, they're on two or three. So they're listing right. themselves multiple places to book as many jobs as possible. They also may be on Rover or mm -hmm. one of the other dog walking platforms. So we know we have about 4,000 people who are screened and have safety pins. We want to help them increase their reach, which is why we've invested in the Chrome extension so mm -hmm. that people will be able to download it and see it easily. We aren't in a specific geographic area, although a majority of the people that we've screened are in Denver and Baltimore because of where some of our partnerships were. And we have a new partnership in Austin. So we expect to see more people in that area as well and one in Chicago. So, so those four cities are probably the places that have the most concentration, but we have safety pin approved members in 44 states. Okay. That's we are US only, I should say, because of the criminal codes and the privacy rules and everything else that will change when we're ready to, to branch outside of the US, but right now we're US only. That's interesting. But I know that um, just from hearing on the news and just different you know, people deciding to relocate. I know that Austin's becoming a very popular city to relocate to. So even, even more kind of like that kind of need seems necessary with new people move, like a lot of new people moving into there. Yeah. And then also to just have like normal residents or older residents, I guess, like Austin having all of this influx of newer people coming in as well. Absolutely. And you know, we look at the verticals that we're concentrating on, but over time, we really see the opportunity everywhere in the gig and sharing economies. And again, even things like meetup and dating, um, we know because they release the information that there are an average of about 6,000 sexual assaults in Ubers every year. It won't be this year, of course, because there was so little traffic in Ubers. But, and, and by the way, 45% of those are against the driver. So it isn't only the drivers who are victimizing people. Mm -hmm. And we imagine a day where you have the option of filtering by safety pin on Uber, that the driver can say, I'm only picking up people who are safety pin approved. The passengers can say, I only want a driver who's safety pin approved or not. If you're going in the middle of the day and there are three of you and you feel safe, it shouldn't matter. If you're mm -hmm. coming home alone at night at midnight, we want to be able to do that option. So when we look at, our roadmap three to five years down the road, we want filter by safety pin to be an option for, for everybody who's using any aspect of the gig and sharing economy. I think that's really, I, I like how you said that kind of like with the Uber and also like the time of time of day, or if you're sharing a ride, if we'll ever have ride shares again uh, <laughs> with other people, but I know it will happen, Audrey. I promise we'll be allowed out again. I know for, for myself, like when I get, ever I get into like an Uber or Lyft or something, I always double check the license plate to make sure it's there. I always double check the photo to make sure the person looks like they're the, the correct mm -hmm. person. And I mean, I know you can, you know, look different in different photos, but generally you look fairly similar. And then before I like sit in the Uber, I always am waiting for them to say, hi, Audrey, or, or sometimes yeah. I feel kind of like a little like stuck up, but I'm like, what's my name? Because I want to make sure that, my name. Yeah. I want to make sure <laughs> that they, yeah. that I, this is correct because sometimes some Uber people will not have the, you know, like the sticker, which is, you know, like another indicator that I look for just to, you know, double check. Yeah. 
of course, that I'm not getting in the wrong, the wrong car. And I remember like one time the person didn't have the sticker and I double checked all those other things. And then they were like, oh yeah, people like, I don't know what excuse that they gave me. And I was like, yeah, I almost didn't come in the car because I like wasn't sure. But I th- think that's a c- kind of a cool like feature whether like that you could check to be able to just kind of ensure that because it, um, yeah, I know, I know for myself, I'm always just like double, I double checking to make sure I'm not getting in the wrong, the wrong spot, you know? Well, and again, not to get too dark. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm very aware of, I had a, um, I had a task rabbit come to my house and he, everything was fine, but he, he made some mistakes. He broke something. Um, so I gave him a three-star review and mm-hmm. I basically just stated facts about what happened. And at the end I said, everything's fine, but I wouldn't hire him again. Uh-huh. And he sent me a very snarky message. And my thought was, this person knows where I live and now I've upset him. And so yeah. that's something I always remember about Uber and Lyft drivers as well. They mm-hmm. know where you live. They have your address. And I think that the the moment that we're in the car, the moment that we have the task grab it in the house, we kind of feel like once that's over, it's over, but it's actually not true. And so I, don't, I will say, I don't know of a single incident of an Uber driver going back to someone's house. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. But as somebody who's very, who obviously is in this industry and I'm safety oriented, my first thought was, I'm nervous that this person knows where I live. I've upset him. Mm-hmm. And my doorman will recognize him now because I live in a building mm-hmm. and, and, you know, allow him back in potentially. Um, and so I think a lot about that address aspect of it too. And living in an apartment building feels so much safer in that case than living in a private home. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times now what I will do is I will get an Uber to a block or two away. And it's not that I'm like this crazy paranoid person. It's just one of those, I don't, I used to not have my own address programmed into my GPS. I was like, if, if I can get a block or two away from my house, nobody ever needs to know where I actually live if they get my, my garment or my phone or whatever. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm very focused on that as well. And in fairness to all the non-crazy people in the audience, I do want to say I was stalked by an ex many years ago. And so I do, like, I do have a little bit of a stalking paranoia that I don't want to cast upon anybody else. So. Well, that's an, uh, definitely an understandable like filter because I feel like once an experience, like we talked about in the beginning, once something happens to you, it's like part of your story and part of something that's ha- how you how you go about your life. So, what is your what what are the next steps for Safety Pin and for you? So, for Safety Pin, we we're continuing to invest in our growth. We are working to get as many babysitters who are working on gig economy to get screened. And one of the things we really want to do, we know how hard it is for people to make money right now. We want to give them an opportunity to make significantly more money mm-hmm. by adding a safety pin to their profile. At the same time, we want to invest in getting people to download the extension so that we can make it easy for families to find people that they trust and make it easy for sitters who can be trusted to stand out. That's on our immediate roadmap. We're really just focused on our growth and we look at the growth in the gig and the sharing economy as such an important part of what's going on in the overall economy 
it is something so important for busy families to be able to rely on it and trust it. And it's such a great opportunity for people who need to make extra money. You know, there are millions of Americans who are months and months behind on their rent and their bills because of the economic crisis that we're undergoing with the pandemic Mm -hmm. and giving people a way to make more money is something that we we consider part of our mission in addition to helping families choose people that they can feel confident in. For me, what's next is just building this business. Like I, I am a hundred percent committed to it on a personal note. I am house sitting right now. And then in April, I'm doing a nomadic journey where I'm going to live in six different States over a six month period minimum. And I'm excited to start that. I've been an East coast girl my whole life back and forth between Baltimore and New York for the most part. And um, so I'm really excited and ready for that. And I think the world of remote work is better than ever. And it's a great opportunity to go around the country mm-hmm. and meet new people and expand my network at the same time. So I'm super excited to, to experience different cities and then to also meet other people in the cities that can help us grow the business. That's awesome. That sounds like a really cool opportunity to be able to, it's kind of just crazy. Like everyone had to start working from home and it was kind of like adapt or you're not going to really thrive. Like if you're, if you're not able to figure out the zoom situation and that kind of work, work from home, um, shift. Exactly. Exactly. So I have a couple, a couple more questions for you. Yeah. If somebody is uh, listening to you, they're kind of hearing maybe they've, they've heard, you know, different tidbits of kind of like safety practices, but after um, hearing your story more about your company, they're interested in learning more. What kind of guidance or resources could you share with them? Well, if they're interested in learning more about us, they can mm-hmm. go to our website, get a safetypin.com. Um, I also recommend people can go to some of the .gov sites to learn about the National Criminal Database and, and more information about background checks. One of my big concerns Mm -hmm. is the phrase background check gives people such a false sense of security. Mm. And the other thing is if you're using any of the gig sites and and bringing somebody into your home and if you, if you don't have the option of somebody having a safety pin at this time, make sure you drill down to their trust and safety standards. I will share with you. There's one babysitting site that first of all allows girls as young as 13 to be on it. So I worry a lot about predatory behavior by Mm -hmm. people on the app. And the second thing is even if they're upgrade, they don't do any background checks at all. And their upgraded background check is a scan of the national criminal database. So that's Bambino. So they do the least screening of anybody, but they, it's not easy to find that on their site. So if you're using a site, Please go down to the bottom where they have their, their small type, mm-hmm. very thick menu. Look for trust and safety. Drill down as much as you need to. It, in some of the cases, it's three or four clicks before you can actually see what they screen. And if they say they screen the National Criminal Database, um, we don't actually, I don't think there's a resource that easily shows what states are and are not included. We should actually create that. Um, so we will create that. Work project. Um, yeah, exactly. It's funny because I actually have the list on my computer right now. Um, but if you're in New York or Massachusetts or um, 
there's so many states, but New York and Massachusetts, it's not included. I always reach out to customer service and I ask them, do mm -hmm. you screen only the national criminal database? Do you do county level screening? And if they won't answer me, I find another site. So I think it's really important for you to know what they're screening. The phrase background check is so misleading. And if you're inviting yeah. somebody into your home and you're gonna leave your children alone with them, please make sure that you understand exactly what has been screened. And also make sure you understand how limited that information is. Because if somebody didn't have a conviction, if somebody got arrested for domestic abuse 10 times and never got convicted, it will not show up. It won't preclude them from being on one of those sites. So I just, I really want people to understand what they're looking at and not have a false sense of security. I think false sense of security is the most dangerous thing about it. If you know, mm -hmm. then you can ask the person more questions. You can ask them to do a more detailed background check. But yeah, just make sure that you really know what security level you're opting in for. I think that's a great tip and something that I haven't like th thought about. I, I don't have children yet uh, or have as um, using as many apps for people to physically come into my home. But yeah. I think that's a great kind of tip because I reach out to like the contact us thing where that you can just, you know, send a quick email or something to kind mm -hmm. of try to cut through that tape. And if they're not going to answer you, then that's kind of a, you know, you know, lying by omission kind of sound from the way that you're describing that. So I think that's a, that's a great tip for, for people um, to be able to hear, because I definitely hear the word background check. And I just think of like a computer with like all of these database uh, databases, just running my name or something like that happening, not just kind of, you know, like a, a fourth or um, of the States, not the, not everything. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a really good tip. Only a third of the counties in the U.S. are in the National Criminal Database. I also do want to say, calling them out, Care.com has significantly increased its screening, and they actually do the most intensive job of any of the, of any of the um, platforms. They still only screen down to the county level for the current county. So it's, it's much better than what they used to do, and it's better than what most other platforms are doing, but mm -hmm. that is what they do. And, but, and they disclose very prominently, actually. Care.com has made safety a much bigger part of their brand. It seems like it definitely would, would need to be in the age that we are of just apps like ever developing uh, for yeah. things to be easier for us. At the same time, you're leaving yourself like open, you know, vulnerable to other things to happen at the same time. Yeah, it's one of the things like I get so safety oriented and I don't, I said to you earlier, I don't like it to be too dark. I want people to be able to enjoy things. One of the reasons we built Safety Pin was to give people more peace of mind so they could take right. advantage of all this great technology and feel good about what they're doing and, mm -hmm. and feel confident in the people that they're choosing. So we are very committed to helping people feel safer, greater peace of mind and higher levels of trust when they're hiring online. 
Thank you so much for joining us each week to listen to our awesome guests as they come on and chat about their passions and their story. I'm so humbled and honored that you would choose to download and listen to these convos every other week. They're inviting me into your earbuds, your headphones, Alexa, Series, Google Homes, all the things. I am so grateful for you. If you can, can you do me a favor? If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, would you do that in whichever podcast player app you're listening to us on today? If you're already subscribed, thank you. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. I would love it if you could possibly share the show with a friend. I find out about so many shows through podcast recommendations from friends. Maybe some of you have found out about this show through a friend sharing it with you. Lastly, would you please leave a rating and review on whichever podcast player app you're listening to us on? Thank you so much. I know these things are super small, subscribing, sharing the show, leaving a rating review, but they can make a huge difference in new listeners finding the No Wrong Turns pod. Thank you all so, so much. Thank you for being here, for listening, and for cheering on the No Wrong Turns pod. Thanks again for subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the pod. All right, back to Jenny's story. All right, I have uh, one last question for you, and this is a question we ask everybody who comes on the podcast, and that is, what is fueling you today? What is fueling your passion? So this could be anything as small as um, a new coffee drink that you that you're drinking, or a new book, a new Netflix show, a new walking route you found. So what's fueling you today? I will say I'm house sitting, and I build a fire every night. And Aww. I love it. I've lived in an apartment for so long. I love just the warmth, the literal and the metaphorical warmth of the fire. Um, so that has been fueling me every day. I absolutely love it. And I also just started yesterday reading Jack Canfield's um, book on success and how to reframe your thinking. I think I'm not much of a New Year's resolution person. I, my New Year's resolution, always do more of the things you do that are good and do fewer of the things that you do that are bad. <laughs> and like, that kind of sums it all up for me. Yeah. Um, but I just started reading his success strategies and I love the absolutism of it. Like we are 100% in charge of every decision that we make every day. And if you don't like it, you're the only one who can change it. And complaining about it's not going to do anything. So that's, really kind of fueling my focus right now and a crackling fire. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a good combo of book by a fire. Perfect combo. Yes. That's awesome. Well, also too, before, before we let you go, can you um, tell people uh, where they can find out more um, about your company? Yeah. So also if anybody wants to connect with me personally, I'm on LinkedIn at Jenny Thompson dash safety pin and the company URL is getasafetypin.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story um, and your passions with us today. Thank you so much. I had such a good time chatting with you. Friends, this was a great conversation with Jenny. There were several key takeaways that I had. One of which was when she said, every one of those situations that happens in your life teaches you a lesson and gives you resilience. Jenny shared various life circumstances that she went through and how those have influenced her life, whether it be right then or multiple years and decades later. I think that this lesson can be true for many of us as well. Another takeaway I had was when she talked about the importance of her network. 
on how after she shared her ideas with others, they were able to connect her to some other key connects by going through a chain of family members, coworkers, friends, and even soccer moms. I hope that you were all encouraged today from Jenny's story and her passions. My prayer is that you would consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. See the show notes for our music credits. All right, guys, enjoy your week. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. And I will see you back here next time with Ben Hewitt, a fellow podcaster who serves in his local church. Hey friends, you have just listened to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter. I'm Audrey and I'm your host. I'm so happy that you are here and that you got to listen. If you like what you listened to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are bringing new shows every other Tuesday and we always have on awesome guests to come and chat about their stories and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter on your podcast player app so that you guys will never miss an episode. See you next time.